Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Let me go ahead and welcome you to the Power Hour. I have not asked this question in a long time, but let me just go ahead and do it right now. Who is here today for the first time? Who is here today for the first time? See, that's a question everybody should be answering because we're all here today for the first time. Who has never worshipped here before but is present this morning? Anybody brave enough to raise their hands? Pastor, I, I hope you're seeing this. This is a challenge to us right now. Okay, whether people are hiding in their homes or hiding away, whatever it is, we need to see some new faces. So here's what I'm going to say to the regular guests. I want to challenge you. But while I challenge you, I also want to reward you. Okay? I'm making this announcement two months in advance. When January comes, every time you come for the worship service, Brother Sam, it is good to see you. I haven't seen you for a long time, man. I was... I thought Rona got you, something happened. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Yeah. So every time you bring somebody that hasn't been here for the first time, we are going to reward you. Not with a hug, not with a handshake, but something you can actually carry. Okay? That's in January. So for today, it's fine that I don't see any new faces. That's cool. But I'm happy to see you here today. Go ahead and do me the favor. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, God loves you, and so do I, sometimes. No, don't say that. Don't say that. I, I, I don't know, Pastor, but I, I you know, we play basketball together. So, you know, I'm a team player. I, I'm willing to leave the game without scoring a basket, as long as my team wins. So when it comes to preaching, I feel the same. So when I sit down and listen to the, the messages you're preaching, it gives me fire to come and stand up here and preach. So I want you to know that I'm excited to preach today because of Back to Adam. That spoke to me. You know what I mean? Forget, forget the rock. Adam. You know what I mean? So thank you for the word. I don't know if the saints are grateful to you, but I'm going to say thank you. Last Saturday I was sick, but I still got to hear it. Even though the sound wasn't great, team, I got to hear some of it. So God bless you for that. Yeah, sometimes we, we got to say thank you. To, oh, this mic's not good? All right. Trying to steal my joy. All right. I'm excited about today's word. Because it's a topic that I often date myself with. I'll explain what I mean when I say date myself. When you date yourself, it means whatever you're saying, either you're the only one who understands it, or it's something that even you don't understand, but you love to talk about. When it comes to the concept of time, I am obsessed because I am an amateur science enthusiast. I love to watch about the progress and the future of technology, human philosophy, and understanding. Because as a preacher, I am aware that the people I'm speaking to are influenced by different things in this life. Whether it's the education they receive, the countries they travel to, the people they associate with, or the things they scroll. And so while preparing for today's word, the concept of time was right in my face. And so what I did is, I wanted to understand, in 2022, what is this generation's understanding of time? Obviously, going deeper, I realized I can't do this in one sermon, and so I'm going to do it 
in two. Let me begin with this uh, montage, this concept of time that we have. The common man, you and I, we measure time based on how long something takes to be done. When we say, how old are you? That's a measure of time. How long have you been on this earth? We can reflect on time that has passed. We call those memories. We can look ahead to time that lies in front of us. We call that dreaming, goaling, visualizing. You are thinking about what will be. But when the physicist looks at time, he doesn't see it as linear, as measurable. He sees it in theory as something that is more complicated. Among the most intelligent people on this earth, and I say intelligent with a grain of salt, they, some of them say that the future, the present, and the past are all happening at the same time. Some of them say that time is an illusion. That time is something we created in order to make sense of our lives on a daily basis. Now, obviously, as a believer in the Bible, I do not subscribe fully to that idea. I love Einstein like every other amateur science, science enthusiast, but the theory of relativity will never be proven to be a fact. You can watch it in science fiction movies. You can read about it in fictional books. But until Jesus comes, we are slaves of time. If you're with me so far, let me hear you say amen. So we live in time. The moment you are born, you begin to die. For some people, mortality is a source of concern, anxiety, depression, and sadness. For others, the shortness of human life is a reason to live to the fullest. And the reason that some people live to the fullest and some don't is their concept of time. Do you look at your life and say, I, Samson Thomas, am turning 41 in a week's time. I'm, I've run out of time. Or do you look at your life and say, I am 41 years old. God has been good to me. I look forward to seeing what comes next. It's up to you. And so this morning, the traveler's guide to the times. There's a difference between chronos and kairos. Chronos is a Greek word for time that you measure. Seconds that lead to minutes, minutes leads to hours, hours lead to days, days leads to weeks, weeks to months, months to years, years to decades, decades to centuries, centuries to millennia, and so on and so on. That's time that you can see on a watch, on the screen, on your phone right now, because you want to leave if the pastor keeps going on and on and on. That's Kairos. I'm sorry, that's Kronos. Kairos is seasons of your life, periods of time. So when I say the traveler's guide to the times, I'm not talking about how you use your time. I'm talking about the times we live in. The seasons. Who's in power? What culture is dominant? What Western ideologies have invaded your space? What politics do you live by? What is it that controls your choices, your thinking, your philosophical perceptions of life? That is what I'm talking about by the times. That's 
get into the Word of God this morning. I'm going to take you to 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse number 22 to verse number 32. I'm going to tie up all this ranting that I just did through the text of Scripture. Uh, it's only fair that twice a month Pastor Henry makes you stand and twice a month I keep you sitting. But I still have respect for the word of the Lord. Your shuffling, getting up and down distracts me, so just stay sitting. Let's go to First Chronicles chapter 12, verse number 22 to verse number 32. For those who might be here for the first time and those who might be watching online, I am a seven-day Adventist Christian, and the passage of scripture I'm about to use has been used in a very interesting way by my people, but today I want to take that text back into its context and preach it the way the Spirit intended. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse number 22, down to verse number 32. Let me slow down for the sake of emphasis. I'm reading today from the King James Version because the, the wordage is effective and powerful for the point that I want to make today. For at that time, there it is already, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. These are the numbers of the bands that were ready, armed for war or to war, and came to David, to Hebron, to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. The children of Judah that bear shield and spear were 6,800, ready armed to the war. Of the children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war, 7,100. Of the children of Levi, 4,600. And Jehoiada was the leader of the Aaronites, and with him were 3,700. And Zadok, a young man, mighty of valor, and of his father's house, 20 and two captains. Verse number 29. And of the children of Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. For hitherto, or up to this point, the greatest part of them had kept the ward of the house of Saul. Saul was a Benjamite, and at the end of his reign, some of his people still stood by him, not because he was chosen by God, but because they belonged to the same tribe. Verse number 30, and of the children of Ephraim, 20,800, mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers. And of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come and make David king. And finally, the pinnacle, pivotal text for my sermon is verse 32. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding, here it is, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. I hope in taking my time to read the text 
you have at least a glimpse of what we're going to talk about this morning. In verse number 22, the passage I read, it's in the middle of events that have already taken place. I'm going to do my best with the time I have to paint a picture for you of what's going on in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Obviously, the name David has come up more than once. So we understand that this is centered around the initial stages of David's official ascension to the throne. But we know that David's ascension to the throne was not a peaceful event. David was anointed at the age of approximately 16. At the age of 16, at the age of puberty in this generation, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But over the next 20 or so years, David spent his time running. And during his time of running, even though he was young, even though he was inexperienced in the matters of royalty, David exhibited the potential to be a great king. Not only did God see it, but some of the people in Saul's court began to see it. And other citizens also began to see it. And when David ran from Saul, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that there were four how many? How many? Four waves of people that came to join David over the 20-year period. Meaning that when he left, the first time they joined him was when David was at Ziklag. Some of the people left Saul to join with David in a cave. He wasn't a king. He had no resources. He had nowhere to live. He was living in a cave. But in spite of that, the Bible says the people were willing to follow him. Why is that important? Because outliers, the people who step out of the crowd and then benefit the crowd, are not driven by income, they're driven by outcome. Now, press pause and rewind. I'm not saying... Don't get paid. Because if you don't get paid, your kids don't eat, and you get nothing done, and you're useless to everybody. But when I use the word income, I'm talking about immediate results. Where you want everything fast and now without putting in the work. But when you are driven by outcome, you look at your life in perspective in insight you look ahead to what it is you're working towards and you by faith see yourself as this thing but in between you are driven by what is to come you go through the storms you go through hardship you go through criticism you go through failure after failure after failure but rather than slowing down as Winston Churchill said that success is not the absence of failure but your enthusiasm growing with each failure I failed today, I'll get it right tomorrow. You pick yourself up and you keep moving. So the people in the kingdom looked at Saul. If you support the ruling party, you get party favors. You get land, you get wealth, and you get women. That's what these kings would reward faithful followers. So everybody that left gave up income for outcome. Does that... Make any sense to you? Just nod your head. Even if it doesn't, just do, just do this. 
Outliers are driven by outcome, not income. And so four times in David's life, four times people left and joined him. And the passage I read is the last wave. The last wave of people to join David in that group is a small number, the children of Issachar. If you were listening to the numbers, you may not remember them, but you will remember this. There was only 200 of them. Everybody else was 3,000, 8,000, 4,000, but there's only 200. Another statement. Remember, I'm speaking about the times. Silent, silently protesting evil is just as, if not more destructive, like fighting evil with evil. What does that mean? For a lot of people, when bad things happen to them, or when bad people do bad things to them, they want to do bad things back to them. What I'm saying is, when you watch evil happen and you say nothing, it's as bad as fighting evil with evil. And so the people could see, God uh, banished witches. God banished astrology. God banished speaking to the dead. God banished witchcraft in every form, but Saul brought it back in. He even consulted with the witch. A child of God consulting with the witch. A child of God putting on their bio, my name is Samson Thomas, I was born in the month of November. I'm a Sagittarius and I'm compatible with the Leo. I'm going to leave that one alone. I'll leave that alone. That's, uh, some people are like, is that, is that so bad, the stars of the zodiac? Uh, don't care, don't care. Uh, but silently protesting, where you do nothing, nothing changes. And so some of them said, we can't change him. So we are going to leave and join the man who can get things done. He has nothing. He is nothing. But I want you to notice the caliber, the quality of people that chose to follow David, even though he had nothing. The first group I want to talk about are the warriors. When you read First Chronicles chapter 12, you are told that archers, bowmen, slingers, spearmen, javelinists, javelinists, all the men who had uh, a, a skill. In fact, one of the tribe, it says, the least among them could kill a hundred men. The greatest among them could kill a thousand. These are the men that left Saul's army to join David. David has no structure, no business plan, nothing. But they see that God is with him, and so they leave the army with the pension and, and the land. Because when you fought as a soldier pastor, whatever you took, you kept it. They gave all that up to join David. So the first group are the warriors. The what? Warriors. The warriors. Not Golden State. Warriors. Don't trigger me. I'm a Brooklyn Nets guy right here. The second group I want to point out, I call them... The worshippers. The what? The worshippers. These were the men and women that prioritized worship. These were the people that were sensitive to whether the nation was living up to God's expectations. Men who are concerned with, is God approving of this leader or not? I call them the worshippers. And finally, the last group in the spirit of W, I call them the wise. The wise. What does that all mean? Let me break it down for you. The warriors in the church, in the home, in the company, in the business, in the crew, in the club, in the clique, the warriors are the people that know how to do stuff. 
The people who plan the vacation in the home, my wife. The people who know what's going to happen tomorrow, what we're going to eat tomorrow, what is the church going to do? Pastor, I don't want to be a deacon, but you put me at the door. I'll greet people. I'll pick up chairs. Those are the warriors, the people that get things done. Then you got the worshipers. Pastor, these are the people who are concerned about the music. They want to know how come JCC's got drums. They want to know how come you're doing CCM and not hymns. These are the people who are sensitive to the style of music. They, they are sensitive to whether you're raising your hands and closing your eyes too long. Don't close your eyes too long. The devil will get you. These are the people who are sensitive to how the worship service is going. Pastor, how come JCC, you don't stand up, sit down, pray, kneel down, stand up, sit down, collect the offering, stand up, sit down, then preach the sermon. The worshipers, they are sensitive to the style of music. Is the pastor dressed appropriately? Apparently not today. The worshipers are so intent that when they sit in a board meeting, they don't want to hear about social gatherings. They want to know when is the next revival? When is the next kakae? Those are the worshipers. They're not bad people. I know I made them sound like bad people, but they're great people. We need the worshipers. Amen, somebody. And then you got the wise people. These are the people that know what to do. Do you know that in any given church board, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into church business right now because JCC and every other church is electing new officers. Am I correct? Uh, God bless you with that. I do not miss that assignment. God bless you with that. In a board, there are warriors, there are worshipers, and there's wise people. In most churches, the wise people never sit on the board. They're in the crowd, but when they say something, it makes so much sense, we are tempted to put them in the board. But they know better than to go in the board because they know they're going to get corrupted. So they'd rather text the pastor and say, Pastor, I was thinking such and such and such. Those are the wise people. Then you got the warriors, the people that the pastor loves. The no question, we'll do whatever pastor says, people. Those are the warriors that get the job done. But the worshipers are key because they keep us on the right track. So I love graphs. I love charts and uh, pastor knows I, I'm, I'm a visual person. Because I talk so fast, I have to be visual in order for you to catch up with me. So let me use a visual to help you see what's in my mind. So the visual is simply this. You have the warriors, you have the worshippers, and you got the wise. But see, not everybody is one thing. Not everybody is one thing. Some worshippers are actually good warriors. That's the person who can stand up here and lead the worship service and then go to the back and greet people at the door. Worshippers who are wise are people that understand that according to the times, every form of music is new. But then you got this crowd. I call them the wishes. Oh, these are the people that, oh, pastor, I wish I could preach. I, I wish I could sing. I wish I could do stuff. I wish, I wish I could be the right person to get married. I, I wish I could start the business. I, I wish I could go to school, but my, 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 my wife is pregnant. I wish I could go to school. My, my, my son is now two years old. You keep wishing and wishing. If, if, what's the expression we used to use back in the day? If wishes were worse than beggars would ride. Something like that. that. That's from my country. I don't know what your country says, but that's what my country says. Mr. Warriors, right? So the wishes are the people who do nothing. The 80% who sit in church and criticize and, and question. And, and by the way, by the way, commercial break. If you have any complaints about JCC, please don't come to me. I am no longer the pastor of this church. I don't say it with pride, but I say it like Pilate, I wash my hands. If you have any complaints, you go see Pastor Henry. I'm just a civilian going about the Lord's business. Amen, somebody. 
I know my wife likes that. She loves that. Okay. So let's get into the text today. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 32, the Bible says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. That, that, that expression, they understood the times, is, is so important. Like I said before, I never like to talk about my denomination when I preach because I want the sermon to get out as far as possible, but I'm going to do it right now for the sake of emphasis. As an Adventist Christian, I've been an Adventist now for 22 years. Converted at 19, ups and downs, I'm still here. And in those 22 years, my understanding of the text has always been prophetic. Uh, it's always been used in the prophetic sense that the last day church should always know what's happening politically, climatically, socially, and tied up to the prophecies of Revelation and Daniel. So I've never looked at the text back in its context. So I want to say, in terms of application, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Am I correct? It's okay. But in the context of the verse and the chapter, I believe it's my duty for the sake of outliers to put the text back where it belongs. The Bible says the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times. I already told you what was happening during that time. Saul was king for over 40 years, but he was fired from the job in year number two. And I told you a few months ago, that has to be the longest, what, what, what do you call that period of time between the time you get fired and the time you leave? What do you call that? Not, not transition. Notice, he served 40 years long notice. He lost his job when he started. And so for 40 years he knew, I'm not supposed to be the king. That made him bitter. That made him vindictive. He killed everybody that opposed him. He even tried to kill his own son because Jonathan loved David. Saul even went as far as to kill the priests. That's how deranged he was. And so these were the times they were living in. Israel insisted they wanted a king. But rather than following God, this king followed the dictates of his own conscience. He would not listen to the prophet. And so God said, now the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another. And so as the, the sons of Issachar, they knew this to be a fact. And because they understood this, rather than sitting by and doing nothing, the Bible says they left. They understood that Saul is not the man for this time. He's not the one who should be king. It should be David. And their convictions were so strong that even though there was only 200 of them, they influenced the majority. Because with God, it doesn't matter how many you are. Because one is a majority with God any day. Amen, somebody. But we are so accustomed to, to numbers. How many followers do you have? How much money do you have? How much influence do you have? That we limit ourselves and then we try to limit God. But 200 people impacted their families, their tribe, and the whole nation. Why? Because they understood the times. What does that mean? The simplest thing I could say is, most people know what is happening. But the majority don't know why it's happening. There's a war in the Ukraine right now. Do you know why it's happening? Do you understand why uh, during the war in Ukraine, something so tragic is going on? But what are people watching? The Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Do you ever ask yourself, why is it that celebrity issues are highlighted during major global events? You don't care because you're just 
swiping. That's your existence. Why is it that the economy is going down? I see people protesting the Indonesian government for increasing the price of fuel. Do you even know why fuel is expensive? Do you connect the dots? Why is it that we need uh, uh, passes, vaccination passes, and we have to give up personal information? Are you aware why that's happening? Or are you just a zombie uh, when you sign up for an app? Terms and conditions. Oh, that's cool. I trust you. Click. Okay. I am by no means a conspiracy theorist. In fact, I despise cons cons conspiracy theory. That. I despise it so much because it distracts people from what is true. So my point is, don't just see things happen and you click, click, swipe, click, click, swipe. Understand the times you live in. I am going to give you a snapshot of the times we live in, and I'm going to let you decide what you're going to do with it. In Genesis 49, Jacob is on his deathbed. He has uh, given birth to 12 sons with four women. I don't recommend that. But he has 12 sons. And so on his deathbed, by this point, he has repented of his life. In fact, his name is now Israel. Right? The prevailer. And so on his deathbed in the land of Goshen that his uh, second last born son, Joseph, has hooked up for him. Because sometimes it's not the first born that gets the job done. It's the last or the second last born. Testify, Pastor Sam. So what's happening now is that Jacob is on his deathbed. And so he calls in each of his sons one at a time. He blesses them with a prophetic statement that comes to pass in the future. This is what Jacob or Israel says of his son, Issachar. Issachar is the firstborn son of Leah. You know Leah, the lazy-eyed chick that, David, that Jacob married? Her firstborn son was Issachar. Listen to what Jacob says to him. Under the unction of the Holy Spirit... He says to his son, Issachar is a sturdy donkey resting between two saddle packs. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. In the King James, it's an ass. So basically, Jacob called his son an ass. So the next time somebody calls you an ass, say thank you. Because that's a blessing. I'm from Africa. We have donkeys galore. When I was younger, Pastor, I, I used to love going to the kampung just to ride the donkeys. My, my, my father had a, a, a goat. I know my brother's watching. He's going to correct me about this. We had a billy goat. The billy goat is the biggest goat I almost said on campus. I don't know why I want to say on campus. On, on the farm. And they called them the goat's name Billy. Billy loved to get up on his front paws and try to be your height to scare you off. And so I didn't like to play with Billy, but I loved to play with the donkeys. We would ride the donkeys through the night, through the daytime, to go fishing. I love doing that. One day, we are off to the fields. My, my, uh, my grandfather has a huge piece of land, and in the, the left-hand corner, my left, right-hand corner, is where our side is, my dad's side. And so we are riding the donkeys headed there through a dirt path. All of a sudden, the donkeys stop. Have you ever heard the expression that donkeys are stubborn animals? Anybody hear that expression? Raise your hand. Donkeys are stubborn. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jakarta. There are no donkeys in the city. Just goats during certain seasons, uh, Islam worship. Okay. Donkeys are considered stubborn animals. But what people don't realize is that donkeys are actually intelligent animals. A donkey that's the same size with a horse is stronger than that horse. 
Donkeys are very self-preservation driven. They are so smart that they focus on saving themselves first and anybody who's on top of them. The word stubborn is not a negative. It's a positive. Because of self-preservation, the donkey will see what you can't see. So we're on the donkeys, and all of a sudden, a python slithers across the road. Now, we don't see it because it's at a distance, but the donkeys see it. And so they stop. And we keep trying to get the donkeys to move, but they're not moving. And then all of a sudden, the python stops in the middle of the road. It lifts up its head. Then we can see it. Obviously, I jumped off the donkey from reverse. Don't recommend that either. And then we, we stepped off. And in my mind, I was like, how did the donkey see something so far? I can share with you a lot of incidents about donkeys that prove their intelligence. Donkeys can live up to 50 years of age. When a donkey is put in a, in a place with goats or sheep, the donkey will protect them. It's a very territorial animal. All I'm trying to say is donkeys are awesome. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. Not horses, donkeys. In the, in the World War I, they actually used to take donkeys on the war, on, on, onto the warpath. I'm sorry, onto the battlefield. Because when you fire a gun while being on a horse, it stays steady. It wasn't difficult to train them, but the horses would get startled. And so you have to put blinkers on the horse. You don't have to do that with the donkey. It knows where it's going. A donkey can carry such a heavy load. And so Jacob, I spent way too much time on that. Jacob says, Issachar, you are hardworking. But notice, not only is Issachar hardworking, he has a great perception of the season. He said, when he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land. In other words, when Issachar saw that the land was good to plant and grow things, he would bend his back in order to do the work. He wasn't ashamed to work. Wisdom is a result of hard work. So when you say, Pastor, please pray for us to have wisdom, I always ask people, what do you mean? Do you mean to understand the Bible? Do you mean to be able to make better choices? Or do you mean to have the heart to work hard? Wisdom comes from labor. So the expression, work smarter, not harder, is inaccurate. Work harder by working smarter sounds better. The sons of Issachar knew when things were good, let's plant. When it's time for harvest, it's time for harvest. When it's time to plant, it's time to plant. But what do we do? When the rain is falling, we do nothing. When the rain has stopped, all of a sudden we start scrambling. Lord, bless the thing I'm trying to do in the wrong season. The Bible says that he, he will bend his shoulders. But rather than bending our shoulders, we shrug our shoulders. Pastor, not this year, Pastor. I, there's a lot going on. 2022 was a bad year. Come next year, Pastor. I'll take the position next year. Excellence is not the ability to be better than others. It's the ability to make others better. Amen, somebody. Oh, stop this idea that you got to be number one. What makes you number one is your ability to bring people as close as possible to where you are. People who share the spotlight, people who share the burden, someone who's willing to train their replacement is excellent. That's who the sons of Issachar were. Why? Because the Bible says they knew what Israel ought to do. It wasn't just about them. It was about all of us. Stop coming into God's house and saying, it's about me. It's what I need. I'm here looking for a husband. I'm here looking for a wife. Amen, pastor. Excellence. I want to be the best at my job. But what about God's house? 
What about the kingdom of God? What are you doing for God's people? Because the more you do for others, guess what you do for you? Only the donkey said amen, but that's okay. In the Hebrew, the, the, the word time means different things. And in our text, uh, I had to check with the pastor with the pronunciation because I pronounce everything like a bullet. So I have to get the pastor to tell me, what does it sound like in Hebrew? The word for time in the text, they understood the times, times, not time, times, period, is, is itim. Itim, right? Uh, the word itim means a point in time, an occasion, or a season. They, they understood the season. I think it's important for us to be aware of the season we live in. Let me not waste too much time and get into it. I want you to picture this head on the screen. If you can't see it there, look up there. That's your head. That's your life. That's your heart, your, your being, your, your pr- that's you. I want you to know in 2022 what is being thrown at you and what it means. I'm going to look at each, each, each one individually and I want you to assess whether I'm correct or not. But tell me after the service, not right now. One of the things that this generation is suffering from is being desensitized to what is right and what is wrong. There's been a flipping of truth and error. In fact, this expression, false news, is being used so much that people can't even tell what is right and what is wrong. Let me give you an example. In the 80s and 90s, when you turned on the television to watch something, whenever they would curse, the worst words you would hear were words like damn, which is in the Bible, bloody, which is in the Bible, and sometimes ass, which is also in the Bible. And even then, it would have a PG-13 rating. But in our generation, the thing that is all ages will make you question what is happening. We've been so desensitized that there's certain lifestyles and orientations that have become a part of our society that if you speak against it, you are odd. You're strange. Because we are desensitized to what is right and what is wrong. If you believe what I'm saying, just say amen. In fact, when I watch the cartoons that my son is watching on YouTube, and I do my best, and my wife is, is doing a great job to make sure that he's watching the ABCs and numbers and trying to stick to that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm doing my best to keep him away from Pokemon. Yes, I'm doing my best to keep the little bugger from Pokemon. He is already a Pokemon himself. I don't want him getting ideas. So we are so desensitized that we take our kids to watch the stuff that we watch now. Okay, maybe that's not you. Let's find another one. Echo chambers. Echo chambers. You know what an echo chamber is? An echo chamber is basically when you listen to people that say what you already believe. The Instagram accounts that you follow, the TikTok accounts, the uh, Twitter accounts, and the fa- if you're still on Facebook, come on. It's 2022, right? The, the, the things that you read, the, the stuff that you have. When people speak, it's easy to tell, that's a Christian. That's a backslidden Christian. That used to be a Christian. You can tell by the vocabulary that they are now in this echo chamber, this place where they listen to people that say what they think and believe, which is interesting because Christians belong to echo chambers that don't reflect their values. And now we're not private about it. We put it out online. Pastor, Christians are calling God the universe. 
God is not the universe. God created the universe. So the next time you say the universe blessed you, what are you talking about? Maybe that's not you. Uh, uh, jamming. Jamming. That's another expression today. Let me see if I can explain this. R write some of the stuff down and then research on your own. Jamming is when they get, when they get you to apologize because of what you believe. This is the only generation that has to apologize for not accepting certain lifestyles. Every time preachers get up on TV because they're so popular and have so many followers, and they ask the question, Pastor, is homosexuality okay? The pastor like, uh, you know, Jesus called us to love everybody. Jesus has called us to embrace everyone. Yes, he did. But that's not the question. The question wasn't, do you love them? The question is, is homosexuality okay? The thing is, what had happened was, is that the times we live in, we have to be embracing of everybody because we are all God's children. There's no black, no white, no red, no yellow. That is not the question. But Christians, we have been jammed where we apologize for believing what we believe. Now you're thinking, Pastor, what's happening? We, we thought you were the cool guy with the, with the dress code. No, you don't understand. The world is louder than us right now. My son cannot tell the difference between what a boy or a girl is based on what he's watching. I have to explain to my son the difference between a woman and a man. So why should I be silent when I'm speaking to Christians? I do not apologize for believing what the Bible says about certain lifestyles. But yes, we love everybody. We love everybody, but we love God more. Amen, somebody. Don't allow the world to jam you. But at the same time, open your heart to everybody. And finally, cancel culture. Oh, everybody loves this one. The moment you say something that people don't agree with, they cancel you. Manny Pacquiao, canceled. Kanye West, canceled. Every, Kyrie Irving, that's fine. Cancel him. Flat Earth, really? Go ahead and cancel him, right? We, we cancel people. And, and for you and I, the way we cancel each other is we don't follow each other on social media. We don't come back to each other's churches. Oh, don't go to JCC. That pastor doesn't like uh, gay people. That is not what I said. We are so sensitive that we don't want people pointing out our faults. You counsel somebody about their choices, they get offended. As if their life even affects you. Don't cancel people until you get to hear what they really think. Because you just might cancel your future wife or future husband. Amen, somebody. So, so, what is receiving? What is receiving the desensitization, the echo chambers, the jamming, the cancel culture? Some people are driven by self-preservation. When they read the news, they read it from a perspective of, this is my life, I don't want drama. Okay? The wishes. They want drama. So when they hear all the stuff I'm saying, to them it's, yeah, pastor, we understand, but when I leave this place, I'm just going to go home, enjoy my weekend with my kids, go to the office on Monday, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Self-preservation. And then you got people who are social politicians. Their job is to stand for the underprivileged. Somebody came to one time and said, pastor, uh, do you feel okay as a black man in Indonesia? Do you feel oppressed? I'm like, really? Uh, African oppressed by Asian people? I've never heard about that before. 
But, but they, they, they are so sensitive to my... Oh, when I say to people, I always used to like uh, teasing Sister Lydia about, oh, did you say that because I'm black? Lydia gets red on her person. That's what I mean. No, no, don't worry. I am not sensitive about being a black man. I love being a black man. When I walk in the... Well, now when I walk in the sun, this happens. But you know what I'm saying, right? Social politics. We support certain groups. And so we are very vigilant about it. During uh, the parade month, some of you... God-fearing people, you change your profile to the rainbow. And then, that rare group, the, the children of Issachar, the men and women that, that understand the times they're living, that this is not the season to be picky about certain things. This is the time to look at the bigger picture, the real issues in the world, the, the people who understand that there's major events taking place that I need to prepare my family for. These are the sons of Issachar, the people who receive information based on spiritual purpose. They're not judgmental, but at the same time, they're not tolerant of everything. They don't look at people and judge them by how they're dressed, but they're very perceptive about what is right and what is wrong. Why? Because they use, they use spiritual purpose to guide them. This, this is how they choose their life partner. This is how they choose their job. Not this, this. Because when it comes down to it, when a tsunami hits and wipes out every building, every bank, and every office, all you have is you and your character. No social media, no electricity, nothing. All you have is your perceptions and your views of life. How will you measure up when it matters? But that's us, right? Even now while I'm speaking, I can see some of you. You're, you can't even wait an hour just to... Listen to the sermon. You got, you got to know, what did the person who posted yesterday post again today? Right? Because you know, if you don't check now, you got to scroll back a lot. Your phone, that's where you're getting desensitized. Your phone, that's where the echo chambers are. You know that based on what you search is what you will see on your feed? Th that's how echo chambers are born. I don't know if you guys have seen this video where a man is explaining the way TikTok works. I send it to you. I'm sure you've seen it. That America and China don't get the same feed. That in America, you're getting people doing dance videos. And I see some of you do those dance videos. But in China, they, they're getting educational stuff, entrepreneurial stuff, stuff that increases, personal development stuff. But in the US and Indonesia, you just doing those TikTok videos. Like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm just hating because I'm too old to dance. But you understand what I'm saying? The sons of Issachar were not selfish. They didn't preserve themselves. They, they wanted to help their people. And so they said to the people, listen, we don't think that Saul is the right guy for what comes next. If we're going to go into the next season where we take over this place and represent God, we need somebody that can get us there. David is the man. They helped others, not just themselves. But listen, I, I know I'm taking up more time. Listen, to be able to help other people, you must first know how to help yourself. It's very important to understand that. Let me put it this way. Matthew Henry, a commentary. It's rare for me to post a, a commentary statement on a sermon, but this was so powerful, I had to do it. The men of Issachar were the fewest of all, only 200, and yet as serviceable to David's interest as those that brought in the greatest numbers. These few being, in effect, 
the whole tribe. In other words, there were only 200 from the tribe, but they were so strong, they not only represented the tribe, but the whole nation. He continues to say, from their observation and experience, they learned both their own and others' duty and interest. Do you understand what that means? That means if the sons of Issachar were alive today, they would be on TikTok. They would be on Instagram. They would be on Facebook, on Twitter. They would be there. But their reason to be there wouldn't be entertainment, but perception. What are people thinking? So when you hear me pointing out the stuff you're doing, I'm not judging you. I'm saying this is what you're doing and you don't realize it's not because of you. It's what you've been told is the thing to do. You are being programmed to think this way. And so when a pastor comes and starts pointing out division and all these sensitive topics, the pastor, no, 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 can we just scroll the, the cats dropping the bottle off the table? Can, can we do that only? Self-awareness must always precede people awareness. To be able to read other people, read yourself. I, I see people get it wrong. I always tell my wife, when, when you come to me and talk to me about somebody else's life, be clear what the intention is because I'm not going to use up my time talking about somebody I don't know. I've never introduced myself to you, so why should I care about your love life? I don't know you. Why should I care who you left to become with? That is not how I want to spend my time. But if we're talking about it because we want to help, sure. Because I am not aware of myself. I'm still growing. How can I decide what you should do with your life? Who am I to tell you who to be with? I can't do that. I'm still trying to figure out me. Self-awareness should always precede people awareness. If you understand, let me hear you say amen. Let's keep going. We're almost done. To know someone else's assignment, you must fully be aware of yours. Here's the problem in relationships. It's not January yet, but I can't help it. Here's the problem in relationships. A lot of relationships struggle because you don't know your assignment. You are too busy working a to-do list for your partner that you don't even follow. You're not even clear what your contribution is. you got this long list of requirements. You must be rich and fit and loving and available. That doesn't exist. And I'm not hating. I'm just being real with you. He does not exist. If he goes to the gym too much, he loves himself more than you. That is not true. I'm hating. At the office, you have people who tell other people what to do, but they don't know what to do themselves. In, in, in church, Pastor, I, I posted a picture of a church at the bottom. That's a, that's a vision board, by the way. I'm tired of Pacific Place. It's time to move, Pastor. Pastor Henry, it's time to move, right? In churches, you have too many, too many echo chambers. You have too many people telling others what to do, but they're not doing anything themselves. I'm done, I promise. Last slide, that's it. I'm done, that's it. Finally, it says the, the heads of them were only 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Why did people follow them? Because they had the funniest videos on social media? No. Why did people follow them? Because they were socially conscious, social awareness and uh, tolerant of everybody? No. Why did people follow them? Because they posted the most cat videos? No. People followed them because they knew what should happen next. 
They knew who to vote for, for mayor. They knew who to vote for governor. They knew who to vote for president. They knew, they knew who should be the president of the conference and the union. They knew which pastors to support and which pastors not to support. They knew how to live life in a productive way without being busy, being busy, being busy. That's why the people followed them. The people said, we will gladly follow you because we see what you're offering. So I'm here to ask you, dear outliers, what is it that you're offering the world? Are you just a soundbite for someone else's ideology? Are you just carrying somebody else's philosophy and, and, and concepts? Or are you building your own and living your life as an individual? I tell couples all the time. I'm not some contemporary modernist in relationships, but I believe that when you get married, you are still an individual. You being an individual is what makes you a great husband and a great wife. If you lose yourself, you will lose the relationship. So outlier, do you understand the times you live in? Are you contextualized with the world you're in right now? Do you understand why Certain things are made prevalent. Do you understand why the movies are emphasizing on after life after death stuff like zombies and ghosts and vampires? Why is that the theme today? Do you get it? Do you even understand the creation of cryptocurrency? Do you, do you get the impact it will have on the world? Or are you just sitting back and waiting for 10 years to catch up again? Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. See, it's one thing to talk about outliers when it comes to your job. And it's one thing for me to try to psych you up so that you can become the best entrepreneur and have the best type of personality to get the best type of person. I can do that. You want me to talk about how you can be a good parent? I can do that. But here's the thing. The outlier is aware of the world he or she lives in. They're not ignorant to the decisions their bosses and CEOs are making. They get it when the president aligns himself with a certain president of another country. They are, they are paying attention. They are paying attention to the laws that are being enforced in the country. They are paying attention to the fact that all of a sudden, the week doesn't belong with, be, begin with Sunday. Now it begins with Monday and ends, I'm sorry, it begins with Monday and ends with Sunday. And now the Sabbath is no longer s Saturday, but it's, it's Sunday. People are paying attention because they're outliers. They are the sons and daughters of Issachar. And so right now, I want to pray for somebody. I am a sinner just like you. All messed up from the toe, from the head to the toe. But one thing I understand, if we're going to survive the next wave of life, if we're going to survive the next pandemic, if we're going to survive the next global issue, we need to be absolutely aware of where we stand and where we're living. Heavenly Father, I hope that in my delivery, in my content, in my interpretation of the scriptures and my presentation of it, that somebody gets it, that it's not enough to be a consumer, a blind consumer who just takes in and takes in and takes in, a person who sympathizes with that which God is against, but rather we ought to understand we should love people but speak out against that which is wrong that we should embrace everybody because love is a quality of God, but to stand for the truth because God's kingdom is built on truth. Help us, Father, to be true to ourselves and our being to thine own self be true, the philosopher said. But after that, 
when I've figured out me, when I've figured out my family, then I take what I have and I give it out to the world. My perceptions, my ideas that have been influenced by the word of God. Help me not to be a prisoner of my time, but help me to understand my time. Help me not to be so consumed by my small comfort zone, but to expand my vision. This is my prayer for somebody in here today, Lord. Let this not be just another routine of church attendance. May we learn something and grow somewhere. Lord, I, I plead. I plead the blood of Christ on everybody in this building. Each and every one of them are dealing with something. Something that has consumed their lives so much they can't look past their problems. They can't look past their, perce their perceptions. They can't look past their perceived needs and desires. We are so driven by me, me, me that we don't see what's happening to us, us, us. Father, I pray that when they leave this place, they won't just step blindly into another echo chamber. That they will not allow themselves to be desensitized. That they will not be afraid of cancel culture because they want to fit in and be accepted and go with the crowd. But rather, they would stand out like the sons of Issachar and become men and women that understand the times that people are willing to follow. Now I pray, dear God, with my hand raised up, be above each and every one of them uh, to watch over them. Uh, because there's nothing the world can say to them that you don't already know. Be beneath them to lift them up when they fall. Because fall we will. And yet you have promised to lift us up and put us back on the path. May you walk ahead of us to guide us in the way. Because obviously we have failed to follow the right teachers. Walk behind us so that we would not become discouraged or go astray. Lord, everything being thrown at us robs us of our faith. So please pick us up and help us to keep moving forward. But above all things... Be in our hearts so that like Christ, we can love God, love truth, love people, but call out sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say amen and amen. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, I know that that word did something to you and you want to respond. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond. The number is on the screen. Reach out to us. To us. We want to pray with you. We want to counsel you. We want to study with you. And perhaps today you're saying you want to give your life over to Jesus. That is the best decision you can ever make. And you can make that too. We are here to serve your needs. We're here to take care of you. And we'd be more than glad to help you transition to the level of faith you need to live. If the Lord has inspired you to partner with, with us in ministry, please do the same as well. The account number is on the screen. And please give us uh, any love gift in any amount that God has inspired you to give. And I, I bet and I believe that it is going to take us to the next level of proclaiming the love of Jesus. May God bless you, and I'm going to see you very soon. Take care.